Today is a wonderful day. Christ is risen. He is risen Let us read in the scriptures today about our risen Lord. We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. And it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to be like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the holy word of God for you. Christ is risen. Let us pray. Father God, let your Holy Spirit fill this place. And let the Holy Spirit flow through Pastor Mike this morning. Let not that his words be his words, but they be yours. Let him speak with such power and joy that we walk from here desiring to celebrate the resurrection not only today, but every day for the rest of our lives. Thank you for Pastor Mike and his devotion and his love for you. We thank you and we praise you. Amen. Glad you're here on Easter morning, and certainly want to welcome those of you that aren't familiar with Marian Methodist. Uh, welcome to our 8:30 service. We are glad you come. It is a great, great day uh, to be in worship together. I do want to, and you, and you saw from the uh, sign a moment ago that uh, Vicky and Kelsey uh, talked about that this is our last lap uh, around the church year in these historic buildings that were provided for us by our forefathers and foremothers in the faith. And in just a month and a half's time, we we really hope we'll be moving to our new facility and we will become the foremothers and forefathers for a generation of Christians yet to come that provided that facility for them in which to worship Almighty God and to to, to launch forth uh, in service of men and women to the world. So we're very, very excited about that opportunity and, and that which is coming. But nothing excites us more than this simple truth on this Easter morning. And you've already been greeted in your call and response. And throughout the, the, the sermon today, if you've been here in one of the 14 previous Easter's when I've been the pastor, throughout my sermon, I'll add in that ancient Orthodox greeting. And I hope that you will respond with the appropriate words. So I'm going to give you a sermon rehearsal right now. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. indeed. And I hope that you will say it like you mean it and like you know it. Christ is risen. You know, he has. I was uh, reading a tweet by one of my friends who's a preacher at a large church outside of St. Louis, 
uh, uh, Missouri. And he wanted to make sure, he said, preachers, when you go up to preach this week, whatever you do, don't try to improve the resurrection. Don't try to be so smart. Don't try to be so clever that you think you can improve the resurrection because here's what you need to know. Christ is risen. You know, indeed he has. And that's why I came by to talk to you this morning. There was a little girl that, uh, like so many girls before her and those to come, I pray, who had fathers and mothers that taught them to pray. And she was kneeling by her bedside on an evening and she began to pray. And she said that prayer that so many of you, you might have known before. Now I lay me down to sleep. You know that one? Now I lay me down to sleep. What? If... Right, and she'd been taught that too, just like you. But she got to that line, and, and, and now I lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord to soul my, my soul to take. If I wake before I die, <gasps> Daddy, I said the prayer wrong. What a good dad. He just smiled at her and said, Honey, oh, I don't think you hoofed up that prayer. You, you might have said the words in the wrong order. But you might have it right. Now, what did he mean by that? What did he mean by the fact that, that, that if I wake before I die might be right? You know, the simple truth is we must awake to the truth of God before we die. We must wake before our bodies stop waking as well. You see, Easter is a day of awakening. There was a bunch of folks went to a tomb thinking that they were going to find in slumber of death. But Christ was alive. He, he was awake. He was set loose and out in the world to, to, to bless us from there forward. We, we know that, 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 that he rose. Easter's a day of awakening. And when you got up today, did you say, oh my goodness, it's chilly for an Easter morning. I can't wear my brand new open-toed shoes. <laughs> I know there were some of you because I know some of you bought them. But, but, but did you say something like that or did you say, oh my wondrous God, what a beautiful day to be awakened. My soul is alive in you. I am fresh and full because Christ is risen. For me, for you, for all who were and is are to come. You see, God's deepest longing from the beginning until now, that he loves us so much that he desires all of us to wake and be reconciled to him, to, to all come alive in our spirit with him and be one with him. You see, the Easter message is that we do not have to take what we deserve. We're offered even better. You understand what I'm saying? We do not get what we deserve, praise the Lord. We get something better. I'll tell you a place to either go or to avoid, given what I say next. Every Thursday morning, the Methodist ministers in Marion meet at wit's end at 8 o'clock. So if you want to find us, that's where we're at. And if you want to avoid us. But we meet down there for, for fellowship, and, and it's Holy Week, you know. And, and this lovely woman named Kathy runs Wits End, and she's a joy to know if you know her, a good Christian woman. She goes to another church in town, but she, she, she espouses the views of Christianity and, and belief. And there's all these Methodist preachers gathered around the table, and you know, it's Holy Week, we got a lot going on, but there we are sitting there with our drinks. 
And she just gives them to us this week. You know, and, uh, you know, some of these preachers are millennialists. They don't just get black coffee. They get that hot chai that's not from India, but it's from China, and it's in the left-hand part of China, not on the top hand. But, and then you got the, the mocha with the sweet calf, the thin calf. I don't know how they say it all, you know. There's a whole language that I don't know. But God bless her little heart. Kathy gave them all to us, and we didn't deserve it. We, didn't, we, we, we would have reached for our wallets. We would have paid the price. But you see, the cost was all hers. What, whatever her supplier did, she had to pay for. Whatever those things cost to refrigerate, she had to pay for. Whatever it cost to run that building, she had to pay for. The cost was all of hers, and she did all the effort. We didn't do anything. We just sat there and let her bring us drinks. It was all on her. The cost and the effort was, was all on her. All we had to do was to choose whether to receive it or not, whether to sip those hot beverages or not. It's a choice. You see, that's what the resurrection is. In much greater measure, the resurrection is even better than we deserve. It's way more than what we deserve. The cost, that's all on Jesus. The effort, all provided by him. All done by someone else for us. All we need to do is choose to receive it or not. To be awakened by it or not. See, we can be reconciled to God. We can be made at one with God. Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. You know, Easter's big all over the world. You know that, right? Choirs. I mean, down the south, they probably got banjos and kazoos. Everybody's lined up. I mean, Easter's big. Stadiums are full. Basilicas are full. Cathedrals. And churches are full. You know, the University of Phoenix Stadium is where the Arizona Cardinal football team plays. One church in that city rented the entire stadium this week. And if last year is any indication of what's going to happen, over 70,000 people will be at Easter worship this morning in a couple hours. Say amen. In St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican, the Pope will say mass to over 150,000 Catholics. It's a big deal, Easter. At First Methodist Church in Seoul, Korea, Pastor Cho will preach to over 200,000 Methodists today. Easter's a big deal. We throw everything out. We, 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 we pull out all the stops for Easter. There's extra trappings and celebration to proclaim this important and central truth of our faith. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And don't you love it? Don't you love it? Easter is so big today. But it didn't start big. It started with a confused little band of women. A few women go into an empty tomb. They were, they were all so confused. What, what were they expecting to see? Were, were they just going to gaze at a rock that had been rolled over the opening where their Jesus laid? What did they expect to see? They're so confused by it all. Empty graves will do that to people. In 1998, this happened in Birmingham, Alabama. The officials of, of Birmingham, Alabama were completely confused by an empty grave they came upon. You may remember, and if you're African American, you know this name by heart, a little girl named Addie Mae Collins. Eddie Mae Collins was 13 years old. Now here's your, your tie to history. 
1963 when her church was bombed in Birmingham, Alabama, and she died in the basement in her Sunday school room. Addie Mae Collins was killed there and laid to rest. Big funeral, lots of people turned out, lots of prayers. Everyone knew where Addie Mae Collins was laid to rest. In 1998, her older sisters, who had been nervous or whatever about going to that grave and didn't feel comfortable going back to that grave, decided that Addie Mae needed a better place to be laid in rest. And so they petitioned the, the, the officials at Birmingham, Alabama City, and they got permission to move her casket, to, to, to exhume her body and move her. But when they started digging, there was no casket. There was no body. And no one knew why. I know it was a horrible practice in the southern United States in those days before a law was passed in 1968 that sometimes medical schools would go and take the bodies of African-American children and use them for scientific cadavers in medical school. Maybe the grave marker was in the wrong place. I mean, after all, it was in a black cemetery, not a white cemetery. But I'll tell you this, while they looked for Addie Mae Collins' body, Not one single person ever suggested to the police, to the forensic scientists, to the people that were trying to figure out where all the graves were in that cemetery. Not one single person ever even floated the idea that she might have been resurrected from the dead. Not one. Not one. Even though there was a grave marker here and an empty grave No one suggested that she might have got up from the dead. Why? Because an empty grave does not a resurrection make. We know that. An empty grave doesn't a resurrection make. See, Jesus' crypt is empty, not because the marker's in the wrong place. It's empty because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So you have to imagine the frustration of these angelic beings that show up beside the women and ask them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Can you imagine their pre-relationship with Jesus that when Jesus says something, the angels just take it as truth. We call it gospel truth. All they knew it was as truth. And so they say, why are you looking here? And they go on to say, he promised you he would not be here. Remember, he said, go on to Galilee, get your stuff, girls, and get going. That's what you're supposed to do. You should have known better than to come here. You're looking in the wrong place. He's not here. See, Joseph paid for that crypt. And be sure of this. Understand this, Easter people. Joseph of Arimathea paid for that place. He and Nicodemus put the body in that place. And Jesus didn't spend a moment in that crypt. He walked right through it. He didn't spend a moment in the darkness of that cave. He walked right through it. Christ is risen. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Because I'll tell you this, because you live in the world I do, same one. There are still many people that doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are looking for a reason to call it false. They look everywhere for a tomb. They look in this part of Jerusalem. They look in that part of Jerusalem. They look for proof that this is a fable, a hopeful tale that we tell to young children and the feeble among us who will not fear death, to help them not fear the crypt. 
They look for the tomb of Jesus everywhere. You know, I've been to Israel a number of times. And there's two sites, two sites that are believed to be the tomb of Jesus. One is right in the heart of the city. They've built the Church of the Holy Sepulchre around it. And the Orthodox Church believes that that's where Jesus Christ was laid. And right outside by the Damascus Gate, near a place called Golgotha, there is a cave that the, that, that the Protestant and Catholic Christian Church believes that that's where Christ was laid. I've been to both. Both are credible. But I remember in 2000, standing there with, with Teresa, talking to our guide who, who uh, was an English man. And I said, so, you know, what do you think? Where, where's, his, where's the grave? Where's the real grave? Where, where do you think he was really laid? Down? And he said, sir, this we know for, tr- for fact. When Easter morning came, it didn't matter if he was over there over here because when Easter morning came there was no one there Christ is risen he is risen indeed so we need to understand this about Christ it's we just need to look at ourselves and say where do we look for Jesus where do you look for Jesus He's not a figure in a book to simply be studied, to learn about. I mean, we have Bible studies, we have coaching sessions, we have all this kind of stuff. But Jesus is more than a figure than to be learned about. He's not just something, uh, something you study. He's not a hero of the past that we can, we can gaze at the memorials in his name and we can just simply say, well, if I, if I look at the right stained glass window, if I, if I get the right tattoo, if I put the right earrings in, then, then, then I'll be, then, then, then I'll be lifting up him up as the hero of my life. But he's not a hero. He's much more than that. He's not to be embalmed in the creeds and rituals of Sunday morning church service. And we have done that from time to time, have we not? We embalm Jesus. We sing, Christ the Lord is risen today. What is for dinner at 12 p.m.? You know, we can embalm Jesus and he never needed embalming. He didn't stay a single minute in there. We certainly can't let the church that loves him embalm him. See, Jesus is a living presence to be met, welcomed and modeled in our living. He's not in a tomb. Christ is risen He is risen indeed, and I'm so glad. And there's so many proofs throughout history of this. John Lloyd Ogilvie, very famous writer of a while back, Christian writer. He spent a lot of time, like most of us that love Jesus, you know, preacher and non-preacher. You know, we've thought a lot about what proves the resurrection. How do we know for sure it really happened? How do we know for sure it's not a, a, a wise tale? I mean, we can find that it actually happened in history. The history of the Jews and Josephus Flavius record all that. The history of the Roman Empire. I mean, we can actually show that he was killed by them at a certain period of time. But what John Lloyd Ogilvie wrote was this. He says, the most powerful resurrection, proof of the resurrection is the resurrected disciples. The most powerful proof of the resurrection is the resurrected disciples. See, individually, look at these guys. Individually, they were all defeated on Good Friday. 
They ran to the hills. They hid behind their lies. They, they were terrified. They cowered. They were absolutely defeated because what they saw on the cross was this is the end and there is no more. They could see not behind, beyond the cross even though they've been told clearly by Jesus there was a lot more past the cross. But they were so defeated on Good Friday yet after Easter they become fearless. When we watched the disciples in their resurrections, they were completely cowardly. Peter was a liar, a denier. And yet after the resurrection, he became absolutely courageous. They were timid, hiding in the darkness or hiding far from the cross. And just a few days later, after that stone was rolled away, they became bold beyond bold. You see, Jesus' resurrection is not a cosmic magic trip, trick. It's a personal invitation to reconcile our lives with God. And that's what happens to the disciples. The disciples were willing to spend the rest of their lives proclaiming Christ alive without any payoff from a human point of view to them. As a matter of fact, the the really biggest proof that I find of the disciples uh, of the resurrection of Jesus is the disciples started preaching in Jerusalem. Man, it would have been a lot more convenient to go over to Greece or somewhere but they preached in the very place that Jesus had been killed. I would say that's a huge risk. They knew that there was going to be no payoff from a human point of view because they were convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that they had seen Jesus alive and they were never going to back down from that simple truth. They were at one with God. They were reconciled with God because this they knew above all other things, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And the resurrection offers us a choice to be reconciled with God. No cost to us. The cost is all on God. No effort on our part. The effort's all on God. We simply need to choose to receive it or not. Big Christian word atonement. God desires atonement. Atonement means to make it ends. You know, you can split that word down. We say it a lot in the Christian church, so I want us to get a hold of it. Atonement means at one meant, to be at one with God. Before you were born, before you were created, God desired to be with you forever. He knew that you were so valuable to him that he wanted to make things right. Now, we see the doctrine of atonement spelled out well in the apostle Paul. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians about the atonement. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, not some teaching. This is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins. That means he took on the cross the worst of you so you could have the best of him. He died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried. Joseph, Arimathea, Nicodemus, we know the story. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Christ is risen. risen. You know, indeed he has. There's this story from history. It's true. Some of you were alive, so you could tell me I'm wrong because you can look it up. Plus, Google has everything. But when Winston Churchill died, huge state funeral in St. Paul's Cathedral. Huge because of his military influence during World War II. Huge military influence on his funeral. And of course, the big band was there to play. And when the benediction was was said at Winston Churchill's funeral, like in the case of all that have been involved in the military, taps was played. Tears ran down the cheeks of the 
choir. Tears ran down the cheeks of those in Churchill's family that were grieving him. The state was inevitably changed by his loss. And so this solemn moment of taps was played. Everyone quiet. And after the last moment of taps, the band immediately went in to reveille. You got to get up. You got to get up this morning. You see, Churchill demanded that at his funeral because he believed that death was not the end and that any Christian ever should believe that death is not the end. So as soon as you pass through that gateway, that door that we put our hand on that we call death, Jesus sees as life to life and we walk through, it's time to be awake. And so when we die in our bodies, Christ says, get up, because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. See, we're regenerated, redeemed, justified, forgiven, reconciled to God by the sacrificial and substitutional atonement and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. That provision to be at one with him is for all people, red, brown, yellow, black, and white, every language, every place in the globe. And so I started with this, and I'm going to take you take you to, to, to our offering this way. I started by telling you the story of a little, little girl and a dad who in her mind got the prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I wake before I die, I started with that and I want to take you somewhere with that. Because I knew that story when this happened. I was 23 years old. My boss was on vacation as a very junior pastor at a church in the midst of seminary. Got called to Penrose Community Hospital in Colorado Springs to meet a man named Harley Chapman, who I had read his name in the church directory, but having only been in the church about three or four months, I had not met Harley because he'd been sick the whole time I'd been there. I'm the youth pastor, right? So I say to myself, I'm seminary trained. How hard can be going to the hospital be? You just go in, you say a couple of Bible verses, you say, I hope you get better, you pray and you walk out. So, you know, my mullet-wearing, thin-tie-wearing self walked into the hospital. I was quite ready to handle anything that I could walk into. And I walked into Harley Chapman's room, a man I'd never met. And he was, you know, my age now, really old. And he was bright orange, which I didn't know then, but that means your liver's going bad. I just knew it wasn't right. And I walked in, and he said, oh, you're the new kid pastor. It doesn't come up much anymore, Tim. I said, I am. I'm the pastor for the kids. And he says, well, I'm glad you're here. But I have a question for you, Mike. I'm going to die. Even you can see that. What must I do? I'm 23 years old. How do I know what you're supposed to do? And I thought, he just told me I was the pastor, the only one he was going to have come by. And he said, what must I do? And I said this, which brings us to today. I said, Harley, 
You just have to wake up to Jesus before you die. How do I do that? How do I do that, he said to me. Oh, he knew about the church. He knew about the stuff. But cancer, you know, that given him a pretty good wake-up call. And so I shared some things with him, and we said a prayer. And I don't know much, but I do know this. I can't remember really what Harley's face looked like. I can't remember his family. But I do pray this, that his prayer was genuine and authentic. And if it's true that when I walk through that door that we call death and, we, and Christ calls life to life, that he'll be there to greet me. He doesn't have to thank me. He doesn't have to do any of those kind of things. But he will be there. Because in that hospital bed, I know that it was caused by need, panic. He wanted to know what to do. So if he woke up, he's on the other side waiting for you and for me. I pray that Easter is a wake-up call. We already know Jesus woke up, got out, left the tomb. But I pray that Easter is, is a wake-up call for you and for me and for anybody that's thinking, you know, I've been kind of around the church or I've kind of seen driven by the church or I even have a tattoo of a cross on my shoulder, but I, I, I need to know what to do. Well, what do I do to really activate my Christian faith? What do I do to, to, to make this real? Because the question Easter asked is, what must I do? I mean, it's a thing that happens, so what must we do? And I don't want to make it hard. And I've said three, these three words many times before that it's almost a litany in my heart. And if you don't remember anything else and you're struggling with what you must do or what must be your next step or how you need to wake, I just want you to remember these three words. The first one is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's the firstborn from the dead, that he alone is the all-sufficient Savior, that he came in and died on a cross so that you might have an opportunity, that you might even have a choice to make. But you have to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that there is no others. It doesn't matter what philosophies come down the road. doesn't matter what moral structures are in place. It matters that Jesus Christ is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and you have to allow him and you have to anoint him and you have to consecrate him the King of your heart. You simply need to believe that what they say about Jesus is the truth. And the second little word to remember is receive. Receive the reconciling forgiveness that Christ offers you. Because, you know, we always, you know, so many of us think we've done things that are so bad. Things that we wouldn't want to utter to another person. But let me tell you this, Christ already knows them. Christ knows your sins and he wants to forgive them so badly. He will as soon as you ask. There are things that, that we say, oh, it's too bad. I, 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 can't, I can't be forgiven of that. And Jesus says, but you can because I took all the worst of you so that you might get the best of me. That's why I died. Not just for show, but because I love you so much. I want you to be with me forever. I want you to be at one with me. So be reconciled. So, so when you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, you can receive the forgiveness he offers. And then the third little word, it's just become. Once you believe that Jesus is Lord, once you receive the forgiveness he offers, you, you become like Christ in your life. You become the man or the woman, the boy or the girl that he would have you be. And, and you don't back down from it. Because I got to tell you, everything outside around us will say, what you're doing is stupid. Not, not just, we don't believe in it. You're an idiot for believing this. But I want to tell you, 
There have been millions, billions actually, before us that would say that's not right. There are millions, billions of people that were very bright and they wanted to know if this was true so very much that they spent their life trying to find out. And you know what their conclusion was? Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Indeed he has. So, so, so I just want to take a moment before I descend the steps and pray. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for all those that are far off, that are cut off. I want to pray for those of you that say, you know what? I really am asking my question in my life. What must I do? I'm really asking the question today, how do I wake up? I'm really asking the question, why even go to church? Why even be part of a community of faith? Why build this big building? All that. I just want to take a minute for all of you that have some ache, some sense of frustration, some sense of confusion, and say, what, what do I need to do? And let's pray. God, I know that in a group this large, on a day that is different than others in some ways and very similar to others in others, that there are three or five or 20 people that arrived this morning uh, just because, uh, you know, somebody wanted them to. And because of that love, they, they came. But, but somewhere in here, you spoke to them, and, and they're asking a question like, what, what must I do? What, what's got to change in my life? What do I need to think and be about next? And for them, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit. There are others of us, Lord, that have been around Easter so many times that we're, we're actually sitting here thinking, well, I think last year was better than this year, or two years ago was nicer day or remember that one Easter we had this or that we we've been by so many times that we become numbed to the truth that that you you just literally flipped a stone out of the way and walked right through a grave not not so that you could show some great power but that you could show us great opportunity and Lord we know it's a choice so this morning God on behalf of all of us that need to make some choice today, that we need to choose you over all other things. I ask your presence and your power descend upon us. For those that are struggling with faith, Lord, I ask that they simply believe that you are Lord, receive the forgiveness you offer, and put their hearts and minds to becoming who it is that you would want them to be. Lord God, you're the one and only. You're all we ever knew. You gave us all the efforts. You paid the costs. You made the choice to do all that. All we need to do is receive it and choose you back. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for that great eventuality in many lives, I pray. Amen. For you, for me, praise the Lord. Christ is risen. Indeed he has.